Before I read this, this uh, structurally begins a, a, a new section in the, the sermon itself. So um, you might think of what we've looked at so far, maybe as prelude, introduction. Um, but, but this begins a, a new section in where Jesus will be moving uh, for a good portion of the sermon. And why, why this is that, why this is a new section, has to do with one thing, and that's the law. If you were Jewish listening to Jesus on this mountain, give this sermon, which we've argued is in some ways like a, um, like, you know, here's the agenda. Here, here's, here's what I would do if I were in charge and what my kingdom would look like, sort of like as a, a candidate does running for office. You'd be listening to all this as a, as, as a Jewish person, and you'd be saying, this is all great and good, but there's something missing. Something really important missing, especially as it pertains to Jews in that day, and that is the law. And so this marks the turning point where Jesus begins to address that. So with those ears, let me read our text this morning. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For, I, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But for whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning that you would do a miracle, and by a miracle that you would soften hardened hearts, that you would take away the, the hardness, the, the, the rocks that are in our heart, that you would peel those layers back so that your word, such as a seed that goes into good soil, would go in there and produce a fruit that we would leave here changed people. Do this for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I had to get a new phone this past week, and um, this caused me to have to go to Bethesda, Maryland. I don't spend a lot of time in Bethesda. I've been there maybe once, twice. I, don't, I can't even know more than that. Uh, all to say I'm very unfamiliar with Bethesda, but people say a lot of nice things about it. Um, but as you may have noticed when you've gotten a new phone at times, there's this period of time where they, you know, switch the phones. And uh, for a moment there, you don't really have a phone. And that's becoming a, a, a source of anxiety for a lot of us these days as we are so uh, in need, such a need of these things. And um, I remember as we were about to do this, the, the kind person there selling me the phone said, are you, sh are you sure you can get to where you're going? Because this is going to be off for a while. It's best if, you know, I couldn't stay there and let it stay on and transfer. I needed to do that at home and under the comforts of my own Wi-Fi. Um, it would just go faster. And I should have paused at how quickly I responded by saying, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. I don't, I don't need my phone to get home. I know how to get home. Come on. Should have paused. Should have prayed. We went through with the transaction. 
He just said, it's, here it is. When you get home and the Wi-Fi service, turn it on. It'll, it'll lead you through the whole process. Got it. In the bag. We're out the door. I'm in my car. I'm actually, I've actually got a, an appointment in 30 minutes here at Wallace Presbyterian Church. Um, and so I'm thinking, oh, I've got plenty of time. Um, when I tell you, just to fast forward on this, I could not get out of Bethesda. I could not get out of Bethesda. And I am saying this to you as somebody who prides themselves with direction. And I think my wife would back me on this. I have a really good sense of direction. I can get out of pretty much any, I, I have, you know, awareness of where I've come from. And that was part of the problem. I kept trying to go back the way that I came, except that it was all on one-way streets. And I don't know what street it is. It's a street from hell that, that does not allow you to get past it because everything coming into Bethesda is one way. And so I thought, there's got to be a way to get around this. And I would go down every single street that would allow me to go down it. It would, it would block, uh, you know, there'd be a no, no, no through because of a neighborhood. It would just do one of those U's and bring me right back out to the road. I thought I was in bizarro world. And, and, and it was driving me crazy because I'm not usually in this situation. I, I can usually navigate my way out. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I am, I'm not getting to Wallace Presbyterian Church today if I keep doing this. And I would, I would sort of think that, but I'd be like, no, 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 we're going to get it this next turn, and it would not happen. It, I, had, I had to pull into someone's driveway so I could be off the street, get my phone out of the bag. The, hum, the, the humility at this point was overwhelming. Open it, turn it on, go through. Like, I have no context in my phone because I couldn't even go through the whole process. I just needed to get it to connect to the, the satellites, whatever's up there, so that I could use my GPS, so I could use my maps, so I could get out of Bethesda. I was shocked. <laughs> but the point, the point of this is, e- even as somebody who might pride themselves as much as I do in getting, getting away, there was only one way that I was getting out of there, and it was through this phone. As sad as it is to say that. There was only one way of getting out of there, and it was through this phone. Jesus has said in our text today that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And what that means is that he is now the only way that we are going to make it to God because he has something that we need from him and that we can only go to him for because of this, and that is righteousness. And that is righteousness. There is no way you are getting the kingdom of heaven. There's no way you're getting out of Bethesda unless you go to this one place and to this one person for this one thing. And that is going to Jesus alone for his righteousness. And why? Because he has come to fulfill the law, he says. Because Jesus has come to fulfill the law, it's his righteousness we need and no others. So what does it mean then for Jesus to fulfill the law? That's all we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look at it in three ways. Jesus has come to obey all the law. This is what it means for him to fulfill the law. He has come to obey all of the law. He has come to live out the true requirements of the law. And he has come to receive the necessary penalty of the law. He has come to obey all of the law, 
He has come to live out the true requirements of the law, and he has come to receive the necessary penalty of the law. This is what it means for him to say that I have come to fulfill the law. And because he has come to fulfill the law, it is his righteousness we need and no one else's. There is no other place we can go but him. Let's look at that first thing, first point. Jesus has come to obey all the law, even the smallest dot, he says. Looking at verses 17 to 19, after Jesus says that that this is what he has come to do, he says, says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts this section in his sermon by saying very clearly that I am for the law. And that might sound, why would you need to do that? But you can almost see that he's anticipating assumptions that are being made about him. He's anticipating questions, right? Jesus is going to come and he's going to do a lot of different things. We ended last week saying this is a completely different kingdom. It's also a completely different king in one sense that many people are looking for. And so his actions are not actually aligning with what the Pharisees and the scribes, for example, might, might think of as somebody who likes the law. And of course, there's always the idea that maybe he's coming to do something new. And from the gate, he says, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not coming to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm coming to fulfill the law. I am for the law. I am for every little bit of it, every iota, every dot, everything. It's sort of a stop for him uh, or for his audience and any questions that they might have. When Jesus says, not an iota or a dot, and some of you know this, the the iota is the the Greek word for the the yod in Hebrew, which yod is uh, the the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it is used as a Y. And when you write the yod, it often just looks like a little dash. Um, It looks like an apostrophe maybe if we're, you know, in some, in some manuscripts, for sure, certainly in my handwriting when I had to learn this stuff. Um, but that's what it looks like. And what he's pointing to is, is not even that, which is to say that not the smallest part of the law will, will go away. Heaven and earth, and earth, like those things have a better chance of going away than the law does. Like an apostrophe, which can easily go overlooked or even forgotten, Jesus is saying not even that part of the law will go unfulfilled. Why? Because Jesus has come to fulfill the law, which means he has come to obey the law, not just parts of it, but all of it. Uh, One of my favorite movies, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this at some point up here, is The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. And our our kids like to watch it, Uh, but there's an iconic scene here. Uh, that if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It's when they go out to dinner, and on the menu, there's this Paul Bunyan steak, the old 96er, um, by the glazing over and staring. Maybe you haven't seen the movie. Let me just explain this part, though. It is a 96-ounce steak, which if you have any, it's, it probably would almost just fit on that table. It's massive. If everybody eats, if somebody eats the whole thing, then everybody there eats for free. And I love this part of the movie because uh, the way that John Candy and Dan Aykroyd work off of each other, right? Um, because what they do is they sort of go around the table. Does anybody want to try it? And nobody's ever finished this thing. And they get John Candy's character, Chet, to do it. 
and they take the camera into the freezer, and they're sort of drum, drum, you know, making this all dramatic, and they're walking into that freezer, and you see normal pieces of meat hanging, and you get to this big, giant shadow. That's the old 96er. And they bring it out, cooked, put on a plate, probably the size of this pulpit, and there goes John Candy with his fork and knife, ready to go. And as the scene progresses, he's doing pretty good, right? He's getting, he's getting parts of it. He's getting, he's halfway done. Um, he gets down to two bites. And at this point, it's brilliant because he, he, he's taking that second to last bite, that penultimate bite, and he can barely get the fork to his mouth, right? But he gets it down. And as his brother-in-law, Roman, played by Dan Aykroyd, is, is working the whole business side of this transaction, he begins talking to the, to, to the cook. He says, okay, I think we're about done here. He's got one more bite left, but I'm pretty sure it's going to go down. Let's start getting the bills here. Everybody else eating for free. Maybe throw in some Paul Bunyan hats for the kids. To which the, the, the cook says, what? That's not the last bite. To which Dan Aykroyd's like, well, sure it is, right? There's just one more. It's going to go down. And then they all realize that's not the last bite. The whole steak is the whole steak. The fat, the gristle, all the parts that John Candy's character cut off because he just wanted to get to the steak was not going to satisfy the job. And of course, at this point, Dan Eckwood's character sort of recalculates, we can do this, we can do this. <laughs> if you know the rest of it, he gets it all down. Barely, they got to wheel him out of there. But he gets it all down and everybody eats for free. When Jesus says that he has come not to abolish the law, you need to hear this and hear it clearly. He has come to fulfill it, which means he's come to fulfill all of it. All of it, not just parts. Not just parts that you don't like, not just parts that you don't think of much, not just parts that you are actually good at. He's come to fulfill all of it. He's come to fulfill the parts that aren't just the actions, but the way that we think and the way that our motives drive us to do things, the, the, the coveted uh, aspects of, of the commands that are internal. He's come to fulfill that. Let's put it this way. If Jesus lived in D.C. today, this means that he could drive in and around the DMV area and never think bad thoughts about how poorly people drive around here. And if somebody could do that, surely they're God. That's what he's come to do, which means all those bad thoughts that you and I have, I'll just point to myself, about poor drivers here, that doesn't cut it. And Jesus has come to fulfill that part. He's come to make right that disobedience. When he says, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill, it is all of the law, every iota, every dash, everything. And because of this, it's his righteousness we need and no one else's. There's more I want to say about this, but we can leave it for, some, you know, for another time. Let's get to this next point. Jesus has come to, to live out the true requirements of the law. So, so what it means for him to fulfill the law is for him to do all of it, every bit of it. But for him also to fulfill the law is for him to live out the true requirements of the law. Look at verse 20 here. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will, not, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek here for me when Jesus says this. Jesus' listeners would have thought when they heard this, you know, that the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, as being the, the picture in many ways of righteousness. This is the bar, right? We come from this side of town. They're the school. They're the learned. And they, they have figured this out. 
and they're just better than me. And so when he says this, right, they would be thinking, oh my gosh, who then can do this? Who then, who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? Whose righteousness could even be above this, right? And he wants them to think about, you know, and maybe for us it's helpful to think about if, if Pharisees and scribes isn't, isn't necessarily doing it for us, right? Maybe, maybe the Pope is somebody you put in there, right? If, you're, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pope, right, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Or, or, or maybe fill in the blank. Some family member that you, uh, you admire, uh, some pastor that you love dearly, whatever that might be. Are we awake? Okay, here we go. Thank you. He's doing this to get them to, to recognize that they actually are not thinking about righteousness correctly. And that's the point. He, he is telling them that, look, it's worse than you think, but at the same time, you're not thinking about righteousness correctly. Here's what I mean. First, thinking correctly about righteousness means this, that they have actually got to deconstruct their understandings and examples of what righteousness is. They've got to stop thinking that, that what righteousness is is that of the Pharisees and the scribes. You've got to stop thinking that what righteousness is is if I just stop this one sin that I keep doing. That righteousness is somebody else in your life that you just wish you could be like. That is not righteousness in the sense of which Jesus has come to fulfill the law to give you the righteousness you need. That may be good examples and we all need mentors. That is not righteousness in the sense of what the Bible is talking about. We have got to deconstruct our definitions of righteousness, and that's what Jesus wants his people to do there. What the scribes and the Pharisees, though, specifically have done, and it's worth noting, is they have done something uh, that we might say they've made, they've made the law manageable. And there are places in our lives where we do this, right? By making it manageable is we, we change it to meet our own needs. We change it so that we can say that we are following it and therefore feel like we are actually righteous, and some of the ways that they would do this, considering, consider the Sabbath, for example, you know, the, the Sabbath was this command given to God's people. And there are, uh, there are things that God says about what they should do on the Sabbath, but he does not explain every single detail about what life should look like. And I can get actually, you know, sympathetic to Pharisees and scribes at this point because they're the people saying, if we don't know what we're supposed to be doing all the time during the Sabbath, then how do we know that we fulfilled that law? And so Pharisees and scribes would, would then write and ma make manage or codify, as one commentary writes, the law to, to meet their needs. Okay, so on the Sabbath, you can walk, but how many steps? Only a hundred. That's it. All right, so we answered that question. We can back away slowly. We know now that on the Sabbath, we're fulfilling that law if we don't walk any more than a hundred steps. How many words can you write? One. You write two. You've not fulfilled the law. But if you write one, you fulfill the law. That's codifying the law. That's making the law manageable. And in so doing, they are thinking that they are actually righteous. And Jesus is saying, that is not righteousness. All your good intentions still, not righteousness. This is why we say your bad intentions and your good intentions need to be put on fire and, and, and ignited as it pertains to the righteousness that you truly need. Therefore, they have to deconstruct their understanding of what righteousness truly is. This is what he wants them to do as it pertains to thinking about righteousness correctly. Because here's what happens when you think about righteousness correctly. 
it crushes you. Let me put it another way. When you begin to think about the law correctly, it crushes you. And this may sound mean, but that's exactly what he wants in his disciples. As they begin to think correctly about righteousness, what's often is deconstructing bad understandings of it, he wants them then to go to what righteousness looks like. He wants them to see the law for what it is so that they might be crushed by it. And what happens when you're crushed by it in Jesus' kingdom? What happens when you mourn? You're comforted. In other words, the crushing weight of the law, what true righteousness looks like if we were to see it, would crush us, but it would cause us, Lord willing, to cry out, save me. When you are, on, when you are prostrate on the floor crying out, save me, you have seen righteousness. Because you know it is not in you. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip a portion of this because I think the point is made, but I want to get to, I want to, get to our last point more. But I, I would say before I leave this, what, what are the ways that you need to rethink righteousness? How, how have we cheapened it? Is there someone in your life who is uh, the standard for you when it comes to the Christian life? And, and not that, again, that that's all bad, that we, we do need mentors and people to look up to and people to follow. But how might looking at them cause you to diminish what Christ truly came to do in fulfilling the law for you? That righteousness is not a be like this person type of thing. Righteousness is nothing you've ever seen. And when you see it, it crushes you and it leads you, Lord willing, to cry out, Save me. When we get there, we're actually ready to see the full extent of which Jesus has fulfilled that law. So Jesus has come to fulfill the true requirements of the law, not some codified version. And in doing so, the irony of the text this morning is that by faith, you do, you do actually have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is why we must go to him and him only for righteousness. Lastly, Jesus has come to receive then the necessary penalty of the law. So we've seen so far that for Jesus to say that he's going to fulfill the law, he's got, he's got to fulfill all of it. We see that he has to live out the, the true requirements of the law, not some codified version. That he is real righteousness. But there's a last part here where we see that in order to fulfill the law, he actually has to take the penalty for the law. Theologians talk about this when, we, when we, they say the words active obedience and passive obedience of Christ. The active obedience is everything we've talked about. It is the living out all of the law and not breaking it in your uh, omission or commission. It's the things that we pray about. Lord, I, I need to not lie. I need to not steal. I need to be a better this, right? Those are the active parts of the law, but there is another part of the law that must be fulfilled, which is its penalty at this point for people who have broken the law. And who are those people? It's you and it's me. 
And this is what we call the passive work of Christ, where he passively goes to the cross. That's not unwillingly. That is just something that he allows to happen so that the law might be fulfilled in its penalty for those who have disobeyed it. The gospel announcement is that both the active and the passive have been done on your behalf. And because of this, Jesus then creates a new path. This is, this, is, this is why this is a new kingdom. He creates a new path to righteousness for sinners. When I moved to Dayton, Tennessee, when I moved, when my family moved to Dayton, Tennessee, um, I was five years old. And um, one of the, this was about 1985. And one of the uh, unique things about Dayton, Tennessee at this time was that uh, any roads leading to the north and to the east um, had to cross the Tennessee River. And the only way you could cross the Tennessee River in little old Dayton, Tennessee is if you had a ferry. And by ferry, I mean an actual boat that you would load cars on and ferry across the river. And this was somewhat of a novelty. People would actually come to Dayton, Tennessee to see this because there aren't many of these around. I mean, you might have bigger ones because you've got some bigger water out here. But as it pertains to rivers and streams, we have these things called bridges now that we tend to build. But in Dayton, Tennessee, we, you know, a small little town, we didn't have it, didn't need it, and the ferry was just fine. Except if you had to use the ferry. That was not fine. It was at least a, a, a 20 to 25 minute turnaround for that ferry to, to take you across the river and then come back, right? And this is, a, especially if you had to go to Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, this is Highway 60. Um, if you didn't meet it right on, then you were waiting at least 20, 25 minutes. That's if you were next in line. The ferry could only take six cars, but if you had a big van like my dad had, it was five cars. That's another, you know, waiting potentially an hour just to get across this part of the Tennessee River. And as I said, people would, would come and, and they'd take pictures of it. People would paint it, all this stuff. But if you lived there, it was really a burden. And, and so much so that, that it really discouraged you from even venturing out into anything east or north of Dayton, Tennessee, which would be east of the Tennessee River. Until 1994, when the powers that be said, we can build a bridge over this river. And that's exactly what they did. And almost overnight, right, there was now this passage, this new way to cross over the Tennessee River without even having to think. It would take you about 15 seconds to drive over that bridge versus the hour at times that it would take for you to wait on that ferry. Even worse, though, I didn't mention this, just to kind of come back to the burden of it now that I'm reliving my childhood and you guys are my therapists at this point. If you missed that ferry, which closed at 10 p.m., which is not that late of an hour, to close, especially if you have a baseball game at night over in Cleveland, you had to drive another hour and a half through Chattanooga to come up to Dayton, Tennessee. It was infuriating. But with this new bridge, there's this new path. There's this new way. You just have to drive over it. Jesus has come to fill the law. Every part of it, every iota and mark, he has come to live out the true requirements of this law. This is not all, though, that it means for him to fulfill it. He must also receive the penalty. And where does he receive that penalty? In his death on the cross for you. And in that death and in his resurrection is created for you a new path for righteousness. The law, friends, is no longer the only path for righteousness. 
As a matter of fact, the law never really was a path for righteousness. It's not there for you to, to, to find righteousness. It's there for you to, to lead you to the one where righteousness can be found. And that is what Jesus is doing when he says, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Listen to Romans 10:4 here. Uh, it's a good, good verse there for what it's about to say. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. He is the end of the law for righteousness, which is to say he is the new path. He is the bridge, as it were, that you must go on, and you can only go on to go find and receive the righteousness that you need because he has fulfilled the law. So where do we, where do we need this to land the plane this morning? Like, where do we need this righteousness? And we need it everywhere. You need it everywhere. But that's not what I'm asking when I say where. Where do you need this to hear this this morning? That Jesus has come not to abolish but to fulfill. All of it, he has come to live out the true requirements of it, but he has also come to die and take the penalty of that, of that law because you failed to obey it. Myself as well. And because of that, we can get his righteousness. He's the only place that we can go for that righteousness. Where do you need that this morning? Is it in the smallest parts of your life? Are you somebody that, that goes to bed at night thinking, I wish I could do a little more. I, I just need to do more. And maybe you do, but is this a guilt for you that is driving you that if you could just do more today for whoever it is, uh, but ultimately for God, then, then, then that righteousness would be, would be somewhat deserved or maybe even granted to you and have that assurance. How does hearing that Jesus fulfills every iota and dot change that for you? Which is to say, you cannot do enough, although keep trying, it's wonderful, but do it because you love the Lord for what he's already done for you. That's how the gospel changes us. The motive's there. Right? What, what, about, what about the other? What about the second, second way? Do you need to think differently about righteousness, right? That it is so much more than just being good. Do you need to deconstruct bad understandings of righteousness so that in building up you know, new ones, right, correct understandings of righteousness, you are actually crushed, which is to say you are humbled, which is to say that you mourn and cry out for someone to save you. Because if that's you this morning, Jesus is saying Come to me, because I have come to fulfill the law. Or do you need to know that Jesus truly took the penalty of your sin? Which means that whatever haunts you, whatever shame narrative that you lived out this week, guilt narrative, whatever thing you think actually keeps you from being known, and probably more than that, lovable. And I hope at this point you're thinking about it. How does knowing that in his fulfillment of the law, it literally means that he came and took the penalty for that? How does that change you this morning? Does it cause you to retreat? Or does it cause you to keep coming back for this one thing that you need, and he is the only place that you can get it. Some of you have heard 
I'll close here. You've heard, I don't know, you've heard of this, this woman named Taylor Swift. Um, there's a, a little bit of a concert series going on right now. And um, I, I could have cared less about this last October until Ada decided we're going to get our girls Taylor Swift tickets for Christmas. And this will be their first concert experience. And um, I said, okay, it'd be great. Had no idea what I was getting involved in. Um, and I can't remember what, what parts of this I've talked about before, but, you know, some of you all know the, how this all began, right? This, this whole heirs tour that people got up to buy tickets and Capital or Ticketmaster couldn't handle it. And the whole thing crashed. Nobody got tickets. And oh, I went from zero to a million as far as not caring about Taylor Swift to my, my, my kids' lives are going to end if we, they don't get these tickets. And we, we, we left that October fiasco that everybody else maybe experienced too without tickets, which I thought Christmas was ruined, the pastor. I've since repented of that. But Ada was like, no, we'll get them. And I was like, what are you talking about? We, 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 we actually going to, sorry, girls, are we actually going to tell them they have Taylor Swift tickets on Christmas, but we don't have them? Yes. <laughs> okay. Not sure how I feel about that. Somewhere around November, it occurs to her that she has a, a dear friend. And this, she was actually her maid of honor in our wedding. And this dear friend happens to be in the music business. And Ada was talking with her, and I, I, I didn't know this till later, but she was talking with her and really just talking about life. Actually had forgotten about her job and is talking about the fiasco of the Taylor Swift tickets and how stressed out we were and how we've just, you know, this is just wrong in so many levels. And, and we've, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll come back out on sale and we'll be able to get them and Christmas will be saved. <laughs> um, to which her friend said, hey, you, you, know, you know I'm in the music business, right? And it, and it just didn't even occur to her because she's not talking to her friend, the music person. She's talking to her friend, the friend. And she's like, you know, I'm in, I'm in the music business. In fact, you know, I can get you Taylor Swift tickets. Which at this point is, is, is literally like, I can give you the righteousness only Jesus can give you. Can give you. Nobody, nobody can give you Taylor Swift tickets at this point. And Ada said this. She goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to use you for that. That's not what I'm calling. And, and that's, that, that is something she would say. But this is, this is the part that you need to hear. This is what her friend replied with. No, no, no. This is exactly what you use me for. And she went so far as to say, I want to make sure these tickets go to people I love. Okay? I'm not going to push that too far, but you can take it to the gospel. No, no, no. This is when you use me. You know, the reality of this experience in our lives with the Taylor Swift thing, we did everything right. We became Swifters. Like, we got, we, we are members of Taylor Swift's, Swifties, sorry, 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 not, not the cleaning agent. <laughs> I repent. Swifties. I'm still getting emails because I'm not part of this club, but you had to be a part of this club in order to get access to, to get online. We did that. We were Capital One members who were sponsors, and you could, you, you could only, you, you'd get preference if you were a Capital One member. We did that. We got up, we got up, we got our computers there. We all got ready to do this thing. We were never getting those tickets. None of it mattered until we went to the right person. You have one person 
you can go to for the thing that you need the most, which is Jesus' righteousness. And it's him. And the reason you can have it is because he has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Would we use him for that? Will we come to him for that? Because this is what he offers. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in Matthew. We pray that we would have a deeper understanding of your son Jesus and what he has come to do. And that in the weeks to come, that this would continue to become more rich and more uh, beautiful to us both in how we understand our need for it, but in, in how in all the wonderful ways that he has done the things that we, 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 we can't even imagine, but that he's done them for us, so that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they, what, that they might be satisfied. Would you be that for us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.